Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 147, Who Watches the Watchers? Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log... Who's there? Who's there? A, a, A voice in my head. Yet there is no one I can see. It's me. I'm on the microphone. You're wearing headphones. We're, we're what, talking. What, what magic is this? Who's there? It's not magic. I'm Ken. And we're doing a show together like we do um, every week. Okay, the Ken. If I do a good job, will you look favorably upon me and make the winters mild and the rains fall? Well, you do live in California, so one of those is guaranteed. The other one, um... I'm going to say, yeah, I'm liking where this is going. So, yes, the Ken. No, no, cut, cut the bit. <laughs> Stop the bit. The bit is over. Oh, man, that's, that's too bad, because I thought I had a shot here at something really incredible. But um, hope you enjoyed it while it lasted. That was kind of fun. It was kind yeah. of fun. So let me go. Let me go ahead and say, by the way, for people who are not, you know, freaked out by the magic of my voice. Uh, each week on Mission Log, we, we take apart an episode of Star Trek. We do this whole thing where we do uh, messages, morals and meanings, and we try to figure out uh, whether that whole thing about which I spoke just a moment ago sticks together, holds up, stands the test of time, if you will. And uh, I guess we want to hear from people, right, if it does, in, in their minds as well. Do we, we want do. to this week, though? Do we want to do this this week, really? <laughs> we do, but we do want to tell people that today's episode is oh. Who Watches the Watchers? No, oh, yeah. This is the one where uh, where Dr. Manhattan shows up. And he's all well, like, I'm, I'm magic, and, uh, and, I'm wait, gonna, no, and Rorschach is there, and he's all like, ah. Wait, well, no, 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 that, that's, yeah, that, that's the Watchmen. That's a totally different thing. We may need to postpone. <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to tell the story, though, so maybe I'll just pick up from that. Hey, before, uh, well, before you tell the story, you have to do trivia. But before you do trivia, I feel like I need to let people know. Um, how they can get in touch with us, like I said a moment ago. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That handle, again, is Mission Log Pod. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, there is one way to do that. Give us a call, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our sure website, including uh, discovered documents, and all kinds of fun stuff is at missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Let's see how it goes. All right, Ken. Well, today I do have some trivia for you. Today's episode is written by Richard Manning and Hans Bemler. It was directed by Robert Wiemer, and uh, he had done just a handful of uh, films on TV before coming to this. Uh, it's his first episode of Star Trek, but he'll be around for a few more. Um, now, we'll get into the subject matter in a bit, but it's interesting to note early on here that uh, Bimler expected there to be some negative reaction to this story, and so did Gene Roddenberry. And there really wasn't. Hmm. Um, Gene understood the Mentakans this way, uh, and I quote, I've always thought uh, that if we did not have supernatural explanations for all the things that we might not understand right away, this is the way we would be, like the people on that planet. 
Now, Gene chalked up a lack of response uh, to the audience and the distribution that NextGen had found. And I quote again, It is a source of considerable amusement to me that we can do shows like this and on various other subjects, large and small, and get little to no public reaction. If these things were done on Broadway or in motion pictures, they would have stunned audiences. If they, so, had, if they had had a network behind them or if they had had the answer to a network, the uh, same goes. Right, right. Well, that's a big part of it. The distribution, of course, they yeah. were the first run syndication. So, um, yeah, they, yeah, they didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, blowback in that respect to expect. But then you also have the Star Trek audience. Right. So, <laughs> and that Star Trek audience may have already just sort of been tuned into what they were doing and didn't bother to, to write in. Now, Ken, how's your Latin? Uh, terrible. How's yours? Awful. All uh, right. But I do have a phrase here which I will butcher. Kis uh, custodiet ipsos custodes, which means who oh, your, will your Latin, guard. Your Latin really is bad, dude. It is pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, who will guard the guards themselves? That, that is the original phrase that, that this comes from. And that is from a poem, uh, The Satires, by the first century A.D. Roman poet Juvenal. Now, originally in context, it was pointed at marital fidelity, but later has been adopted as a question pointed to any institution or individual in power over another. Uh, see also who watches the watchmen, as we referenced earlier in today's show. Ken, we welcome back an old friend, uh, the Vasquez Rock. So happy to be there. Yeah. So happy yeah. to be there. If I ever make it back to Southern California, mm -hmm. if I ever get out to Southern California, <laughs> yeah. if right. I if. ever go there again, yeah. Yeah. I, I do hope somebody will drop me by the Vasquez Rocks. <laughs> That would be nice. That would it? be nice of, of anybody who was around if I ever get back to Southern California. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Thanks. Um, <laughs> now, we have some guest stars worth mentioning, of, uh, of course. We have Catherine Lee Scott playing Nuria. Uh, she was a regular in the original Dark Shadows, appearing in over 300 episodes. Uh, she even had a cameo in the Tim Burton movie version. And she has a lot of other TV and voice credits to her name. Now, Pamela Adlin, in this uh, labeled as Pamela Seagull, uh, so Pamela Adlin Seagull played OG, and I absolutely love Pamela Adlin. She started out with a recurring role on The Facts of Life. That's for you, Ken. I did not remember that. I do not remember that, but I have to go check it out now. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got the whole DVD box set. <laughs> that is not true. I don't even know why you're talking about Facts of Life <laughs> with me. That's not true. Okay. Family Ties, Mad About You, Moonlighting. Used to be I Spy, but I'm having a hard time watching those now. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Well, uh, so she was on that. She appeared in a ton of TV shows and, and also did a lot of voice work for everything from Rugrats to Thundercats to King of the Hill. Uh, more recently, she has been a regular on Louis with uh, Louis C.K. And she was Marcy on Californication in which she was hilarious and outrageous and truly if you have not heard them, her DVD commentary tracks for that show are awesome. Can we? Can I do one thing really quickly? Yeah, please. She's Bobby on King of the Hill. She is. She's yeah. Bobby. I mean, yeah. just so. I mean, like when you say, "Oh, well, you know, she did a voice on King of the Hill." She's Bobby. Yeah. Which may make it difficult for you to go back and watch this show now because you <laughs> might start hearing Bobby. I will say though, if you're watching Louie and you close your eyes, it's much more difficult. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because she sounds so much more like Bobby on Louie than she does on uh, than she does That's on the uh, next gen. 
Now, uh, James Green plays Dr. Barron. Uh, many, many guest starring roles, including a regular gig on Parks and Rec and uh, Alien Nation. And he'll be back in later Star Trek. And finally, Ray Wise, the great unstoppable Ray Wise. He is here as Lico. And uh, the guy is just constantly working. Now, recently, you've seen him in Mad Men, uh, How I Met Your Mother, 24, and the sadly overlooked Kroll show from Comedy Central, and in just so many other shows and movies. Now, the most famous for fans of cult TV, however, has got to be his starring role as Leland Palmer on Twin Peaks. Um, pretty much if you turn on a movie or a TV show and you look for the tan and the bright white smile... If it's not George Hamilton, it's probably Ray Wise. Federation scientists are really good at playing hide-and-seek. Right up until they are not. Prologue. On a planet called Mintaka 3, there's a group of humanoids, kind of Vulcan-like, we'll call them Proto-Vulcans, who are in the equivalent of their Bronze Age. There's also a very small scientific outpost hidden in a holographically camouflaged duck blind. The scientists who are there to very quietly and without being detected at all observe them are on the verge of screwing all of that up. It's not their fault. They need supplies. And just as the Enterprise is about to deliver, their reactor goes kablooey. The duck blind is now very obvious to ducks, proto-Vulcans, and anyone else with eyes. Act 1. In the not-so-hidden lab on Mintaka 3, an away team beams down to find a pretty bad scene. Equipment and scientists are just a mess all around. The away team goes about cleaning up, restoring power, and beaming up at least one of the injured scientists to the Enterprise. The bad news is, one of the Mintakans, one of those Bronze Age proto-Vulcans, this one named Liko, just saw the whole thing. He accidentally touches a live power circuit and falls down from the duck blind where his daughter, Oji, finds him. Dr. Crusher rushes to help, beaming Liko up too, and oops, OG just saw that. In sickbay, we've got, uh, let's see, two scientists and one Liko who does not belong. Picard wonders why Dr. Crusher didn't just let him die, but the injury was their fault. Liko wakes up from his injury long enough to see Picard in sickbay, reassuring one of the injured scientists that he will find one of the others, Palmer, and everything will be all right. But it's not quite like that. Picard is all glowy in the warm light of the lab. He just oozes command in a kind of angelic way. Crusher knocks Liko unconscious to heal his injuries, and not to worry, she'll pull a Dr. Pulaski and erase his recent memory. Problem solved. Liko is beamed back down to the spot where he was hurt, but problem not solved. He remembers everything about being on the Enterprise. He tells Oji that he met a god, the Picard who, like the old superstitions told, had infinite power, can heal the sick, and raise the dead. Act 2. Recap in the conference room. One scientist, Baron, is stable, but the other, Warren, is critical. Palmer is still missing somewhere on Mentaka 3, and that place is just crawling with Mentakans, who really should not know anything else about spaceships, holograms, and humans. Riker has a cunning plan. He and Troy will pull a James Bond and Kissy Suzuki maneuver, blending themselves in as locals to search for Palmer. Riker and Troy make their way into the bustling Mentakan community, where Liko is telling the story of his miraculous recover to some of the town leaders, Finto and Nuria. Troy blurts out, yeah, it, it, it was a dream. Too bad Picard's not real. Oji pipes up that she just saw what happened to Liko. 
Yeah, that's cool, kid. You had the same dream, okay? All done here? About that time, Tuman Takin's dragon, a badly injured and unconscious Palmer. Liko says that's who Picard was looking for. Ergo, the Picard god is real. Riker calls up to his captain, informing him of his new rank. Act 3. Picard knows he can't just beam Palmer out of there to the Enterprise. It would compound the contamination that has already happened on Mintaka 3. With Palmer captured, and assuming that the Picard will be looking for him, Liko suggests they tie him up. Riker interjects, come on, guys, that hardly seems necessary. You don't even know for sure there is a Picard. The Mentakans just logic their way into why they need to hang on to Palmer. By keeping him, the Picard will grant them favors. Troy creates a diversion by saying that she saw another person hanging out by the caves. That clears the room enough that Riker can tie up Vento and walk off with Palmer in order to beam him up to the Enterprise. As bad luck would have it, though, Oji has turned back. She, the curious scientific type with sundial duties, and she sees Riker struggling to carry Palmer. She calls out to him, but Riker is just able to hide himself among the rocky landscape to beam back up with Palmer. He may be safe, but Troy is still on the planet below, and all attention has turned to her. She insists that Riker set Palmer free because they do not believe in the ancient superstitions. Liko considers that for a second, but posits a new idea. They should probably punish Troy to make sure the all-powerful Picard doesn't punish them for letting Palmer escape. Things are also getting tricky in the conference room of the Enterprise. Baron is giving Picard an earful about how the Mentakans may act violently toward Troy unless the Picard makes an appearance and does God things to make them back off. They have no idea how to interpret what he wants, and they'll keep stabbing in the dark, literally, to find out. Picard flatly refuses. He will not further contaminate what was once a rational, peaceful society by playing into their superstitious fantasy. But if the Mentakans think Picard is a god, Picard is willing to dispel the magic and show their leader, Nuria, how it's actually done. With Troy's help, Riker and Data are able to identify which life sign is Nuria and lock in on her coordinates. Picard goes to the transporter room to personally beam her up, and Nuria reacts exactly how anyone meeting Patrick Stewart should. She falls to the floor, groveling before her idol. Act 4. Nuria is in awe of Picard. And who wouldn't be? But he says, look, I'm just a guy. Stop with the worshipping. Now let me show you around my ship. In the conference room, Nuria sees her planet from space. Picard tries to explain that the Enterprise is a machine. He's just a living being. And like the living beings on her planet, humans had to progress technologically. They went from caves to huts to houses to condos with waterfront views and a doorman. Nuria is starting to get it. Picard isn't magic at all. Now, if he can just do one last favor and bring back the dead for her. Wait, what? Down below, storm is brewing on Mentaka 3 and the people are assuming this is a signal from an angry Picard. What to do? Well, the only logical thing that would keep the Picard happy, sacrifice Troy. Act 5. In sickbay, the other scientist, Warren, is not doing well at all. Picard and Nuria enter just as she is dying, and Nuria finally clues in. Picard and the rest of his people are not gods with power over life and death. She wants her people to understand this, too. The two beam back down to Mentaka 3, and not a moment too soon, as Liko has drawn his bow with an arrow pointed directly at Troy. Picard steps in, and Liko starts to grovel. 
Nuria tries so hard to get him to wise up, but he won't. Liko is convinced that Picard can bring his wife back from the dead. And when Picard refuses, Liko pulls his bow again. Fine. Picard says that if he is a god, then the arrow won't hurt him at all. But if he is a man, then Liko would have killed him. Oh, is that all? Liko fires. But only just as Oji pushes him. The arrow hits Picard on the shoulder and blood is spilled. Liko is beside himself. But it's only a flesh wound. Picard is beamed up, repaired by Dr. Crusher, and comes back down to say goodbye. The Mentakans understand that everything that happened was an accident, that the scientists were just there to observe. But hey, uh, could we have some of your knowledge and cool technology before you go? Picard says no. The most important law to his people is non-interference. So everybody watch him beam up and fly off in his giant spaceship. The end. I give it 50 to 100 years before it's back to being a religion. You really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's... Yeah, we yeah. separate. We separate. Here's what I thought of. Uh, George Washington never told a lie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. And we know that's true because we were all told that from the time we were kids. And why were we told that? That part I can't help you with. I give it like uh-huh. 50, maybe 75, maybe 100 years before they're like, yeah. And so the Picard came down and said, though I am like you, I am not of you. <laughs> so do what I say oh, and we'll be You're cool. So I'm skipping right. to the end. I apologize. No, I'm not necessarily right. Hey, anything could happen, man. Anything yeah. could happen. You got a little Bobby Hill down there. So she's going to remember, you know, uh-huh. for a while. So she can at least tell for as long as she's alive and pass that. You know, I just I'm going to throw say. out. I'm going to throw out all the notes that I took because now I'm just thinking that with the way that people tell stories and the way stories get conflated and exaggerated <laughs> over time, you're right. 50, 100 years and they've got a statue built to the Picard. Dude, we're like seven years away from worshiping Shatner. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Some of us maybe sooner than that. Already. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I found it very amusing. You know, we, we start the show 4.2 gigawatts of power. What do we want with that? And then thank goodness Jordy is there to pose that question, which leads directly into story exposition. And there are only three things that you can do with that much power. I know, right? Minor phaser bank. Uh, I can't remember what the second one was. And the third one, Jordy, Jordy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he just happens to be come to the bridge. To get that bit of information. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that's nitpicky, though. And and I've got a, I got a bigger nit to pick. So big mm-hmm. that we might mm-hmm. actually say this is not a nit, but maybe a tick or something larger that you would want to pick. You, you pick that nit. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> weird when you say it that way. The proto-Vulcans. Um, so they're saying, yeah, they're, they're logical and peaceful. Because, you know, which makes sense, because they've evolved sort of like the Vulcans did. Right. Um, in their early existence... These guys should be like 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 Romulan, basically, right? These guys should be passionate. Yeah. They should be angry. They should be they should be hitting things, um, because that's what the Vulcans were before the uh, before the uh, Vulcan Romulan split. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, that's the worst thing at Baskin Robbins. The Vulcan Romulan split. Oh, I, know, really? I know you'll be yeah. tempted. Yeah, but yeah. just uh, just don't. Yeah, I was kind of put off by the idea at the beginning that that it's a proto-Vulcan because I kept thinking parallel Earth. This is Miri again, only, you know, a couple well, thousand years before where you've got people who look and act just like these other people that we know, but have no relation to them that we know of. Hmm. You know? Well, their their evolution was so similar and they've apparently already uh, had the Vulcan Romulan split. I mean, it's, okay. it's, it's you know, yeah. I'm just if we're going to liken them, then why don't we liken them more closely? And if we're not going to liken them, why don't we not liken them? I mean, they could be yeah. another logical race that's not. 
Although it does raise a question, should we come back to whether the overseer was another traveler like the Picard at one point? Should oh, we do that? Maybe we we'll do yeah. that next segment. I mean, maybe these proto-Vulcans would be like a Prometheus thing, right? Where somebody landed on the planet, seeded a few Vulcans, which sounds dirty as well, <laughs> planted a few Vulcans, let's say, not killed them. And then, uh, yeah, maybe we should circle back to that if we think of it. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I, I do want to say that Lico's fall was a great stunt. Mm-hmm. That was a really, really nice looking stun. And uh, and a shout out to Dr. Pulaski. Glad yeah. to hear that. Um, I figured the downside is we still know how to erase minds. Uh, but the upside is apparently it just doesn't work. And I wonder <laughs> if we should check in on Sarjenka. I think Sarjenka was already in trouble anyway, though, because she has that rock that doesn't exist on their planet. She's already mm-hmm. she's already insane at that point. <laughs> right. I actually kind of felt like I felt I, I felt like um I felt like Crusher's hackles went up a tiny bit though. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with Doctor Pulaski's technique. I was like, <laughs> you know, just a tiny bit of yeah. Okay, I understand. There was another doctor here. Okay, Captain. I saw other captains while I was at Starfleet. By the way, in case you're wondering. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <clears throat> Um, I usually hate it when the star of the show has to dress like somebody else, you know, like Kirk in the Enterprise incident. And, and I mentioned James Bond and You Only Live Twice. And, and this one works a little bit better, uh, but it, it's, it just it kind of feels a little weird when you see Riker and Troy and they, well, I just stopped by Dr. Crusher and had, you know, surgical implants to make me look like a different species <laughs> you know well, they like this that. is a thing they just do like hey i know you're taking care of these other scientists <laughs> who are on the verge of death but if you could you know do a little thing with the brow a little thing with the ears maybe tan then uh nice like nice that. well i mean they did that in the original series as well though as you mentioned in uh, the enterprise incident mm-hmm. yeah, so, so it's, it's thing. Yeah. yeah we've had like 80 years of this at least if you go to starfleet medical you have to learn that as well. Yes, you, you can master actually in, in plastic surgery in the 24th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, always worth mentioning when somebody asks if you're a god, you say yes. I believe we've uh, mentioned that before. We may in, have, yeah. In the path of mission log. Um, and, you know, it's a kind of a cool thing. You just beam somebody up to see your rad spaceship. Picard, <laughs> this injustice, you know, and I feel like he may do it again. Time will only tell. Maybe we'll get to see him do that. Um, and uh, and I, I was also thinking, you know, who's to say that, that this proto-Vulcan group, uh, that their social evolution wouldn't have just gone totally differently anyway. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, they may have figured out religions and gods and, and gone a totally different way anyway. Because I, I kept thinking, like... Well, maybe logic isn't a thing that you evolve into, but you actually have to work at. You have to educate yourself into. So I, I thought, you know, uh, what's what, what's a god among this group of people? Maybe maybe they'll change. Maybe they won't. And I'm I'm kind of getting more and more concerned about what you posed earlier. That <laughs> given fifty years and well, know, they yeah. turned in five minutes. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. But we we should probably leave that again yeah. to the next yeah. segment. Because we, what get, about, we uh, get stupid stuff to talk about first. We do, we do. What about Picard being willing to die? Yeah. Uh, because he, he said he was willing to die for the Prime Directive. Um, and and I, I, I kept wondering, well, he does have an artificial heart. He's been through this. He can take it again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that, that's the thing that he's got that they don't know about. Well, maybe, except I, was, I actually thought about... Um, a way long time ago for you and me, not quite as long for other people, uh, a mock time. 
I thought about mm. a mock time and sort of like how you said, so Bones kills Kirk, mm-hmm. right? Let's him die there. And he's lucky that then they just release the body because who knows what their actual, what their actual, um, what their actual uh, rituals were after, after, you know, after the mm-hmm. fight. Oh yeah. Right. 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 So, I mean, it, it is very lucky. Yeah. So even if Picard had died, like actually died, and, yeah. you know, the plan was, okay, well, Crusher will be able to save me because it's only going to be like, a, it's an arrow in the heart. Who can't yeah, handle yeah. that? Yeah. You know, what if they had been like, okay, now quick, cut off his head. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like right. we do every time somebody dies on our planet. Oh, right. wow. That's going right. to be, because that's going to be harder to fix. Maybe he's yeah. in the transporter buffer. Yeah, right. It's interesting. Though, you, so you say that you think he was willing to die for the prime directive, or maybe he was willing to die for Troy. It sounded to me like... And this should also be in the next segment, but here we are. It sounded to me like he was willing to die so that they wouldn't believe in a god. Because he actually says to them, look, if I'm immortal, you can't kill me. But mm-hmm. if you kill me, then there was no god, so kill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Troy's yeah, like, yeah, I... and also, let her go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking that. What do they do? Do they kill Picard? He just falls down dead, and then all eyes turn to Troy. Wow, now we've really angered the Picard. We better uh, kill her right. fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's kind of a weird thing at the end here. So in the captain's log, right before the last scene, mm-hmm. Picard says that LaForge has overseen dismantling of the observation post. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's a thing. All right. That's uh, that's LaForge's job. And he has done his job. Now, a few seconds later, Picard is standing on the planet with the Mentakans around and he reveals the post of the Mentakans and says, it's a place where we can watch you. <laughs> So either Jordy was not good at his job, or by dismantling, they just mean they're going to leave it where it is and then turn the the hologram duck blind back on. And but everybody has seen this, and they've all had a conversation with the Picard. Right. And I'm sorry, but if I were an agrarian Bronze Age proto Vulcan who was fascinated by reason and the natural world you would not be able to keep me away from a duck-blinded Federation outpost that has computers and force fields and holograms. After studying the proto-Vulcans, it is difficult to decide which was the greatest achievement of the original Vulcans, gaining insight into Hiddick, or getting rid of their mullets. And a thank you to a listener for that observation. So we had the uh, the good fortune of interviewing Marina Sirtis a few weeks back um, as we record this. It may have been longer than that as you hear this. Uh, if you haven't heard it, though, go back and listen. One of the things that I found really fascinating, one of the things I found most revealing in that, we come into season one and there's been this you know, burning love between, uh, between Riker and Troy. And what Marina said on the interview was that the only thing that kept their relationship alive was the fact that she and Frakes kept playing it on the screen. It wasn't written in mm-hmm. anymore. They weren't talking about it anymore. Now, in last week's show, The Survivors, Riker is keen immediately to the fact that there's something wrong with Troy. And the reason Riker's keen to that immediately is because he is sitting in the meeting just staring at her yeah. the whole time. All of which is to say, when you get these fun moments of them talking about sexuality, when you get these fun moments of them talking about relationships between men and women, it's just kind of an interesting thing to now have that bit of information that she brought to the supplemental as well. 
Uh, that said, they have an interesting discussion about uh, proto-Vulcan sexuality. <laughs> they do. They do. And, and I hate to you know, you know, just quote a bunch of dialogue, but but every word of this is good. Which one do you want to be? Wait, we should probably take it in two parts. Oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be Troy for this. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and a lot of people just want to bet. A lot of people lost a bet, too. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, please. Here we go. Then Takan emotions are quite interesting. Like the Vulcans, they have highly ordered minds, a very sensible people. For example, Mentakan women precede their mates. It's a signal to other women. This man's taken? Get your own? Not precisely. More like, if you want his services, I'm the one you have to negotiate with. What kind of services? All kinds. They are a sensible race. Thank you. And scene. Yeah. What's fun about that is, first of all, we're learning about the Mentakans, but also it's that it's that Cary Grant and whoever mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. thing that's going on. They, they, their relationship, it is so funny to me that the writers actually weren't writing a relationship for them anymore, because when I think about it, it's always there, with yeah. the exception of something that's coming up in a later season, but we won't necessarily talk about that here or now. Right. right. Um, it's always there. And the idea that Occasionally, a writer might give them a bit of, you know, racy dialogue or a bit of suggestive dialogue. I mean, it really is just every now and then just a little bit. It's amazing to me that that, uh, that, that is basically kept alive by, okay, so we're all sitting here at this table. Uh, Spiner's looking down. <laughs> Picard's looking down the table. And where's yeah. Riker? Oh, Riker's looking at Troy. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. He's in love with her, even if we're not going to let him be. It's great dialogue for them, yeah. But but it's also really interesting philosophical stuff about the Mentakans, yes. Because here's another thing on display in this episode: strong female characters. The Mentakans have women as equals and as leaders, yeah. Uh, and that's really cool to see. The person who's apparently going to be the chief scientist, at least of this part of their planet, is a mm-hmm. teenage girl, yeah. And she's already doing the job. And I don't know if it was that her mother did the job before her or if it was just that her mother would be proud of her. But either way, there's a teenage kid, and it's very important to measure the sun. Mm-hmm. That, that was actually the one thing that was kind of confusing. And also, I wish she had paid I – wish, I, wish, I felt like you know they just told her, well, just do something with the sundial. <laughs> just <laughs> because turn like, it like and spinning stuff. And look, like a, you know. Is that actually going to stay there? Okay, good. That's actually going to stay there. And They're like, oh, yeah. look, you did science. Yay. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, I, yeah, you kind of you got to love the fact that, yes, their leader is a woman and mm-hmm. their chief scientist apparently is a woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and and they they have this sort of very interesting take on sexuality. They've gotten over some of their hang-ups because mm-hmm. apparently the women can just uh, barter their men's sexuality. Yeah, I'm not yeah. actually sure that we're going in a good direction at that. No, point, no, maybe but, not. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah, but it is um, interesting so, that, it, that yeah. it evolved that way or or developed that way. Yeah. Well, I guess that's all there is to discuss about this episode. That's it, right? So might that's as well move along. Very to the strange. Laptop. There's yeah. nothing. There's no. If, it, I, it's one of those like if only there were a message. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can can we start out by restating? I'm going to say the rules of mission log. Mm, no, see, I got to stop you right there. I would go ahead okay. and say ordainments. Oh right, yeah, the, the, fish, <laughs> the fish people. Yeah, yeah. God love them. So, the Aquans. Uh, oh, maybe there are people who are new to mission log, or maybe there are people who kind of skip around with mission log, and maybe some people participate heavily. And like Twitter and Facebook, and and you and I both know we just got tremendous comments there, and it, and it's it's kind of amazing that we do this show alone, but then 
shortly after it goes up, just all this feedback comes. But but the feedback is what's worth uh, what's worth discussing here. So. For those who are maybe new or who maybe don't know, and and uh, le- let me tell you my perspective on Mission Log. So our job is to to watch Star Trek and see what we can pick up in terms of morals, meanings, messages, either intended or unintended. We're sort of trying to get into the heads of the writers, right? And and then we get to discuss that, and and we get to filter that through our own experiences and opinions because well because we're the hosts and and this is an opinion show and and that's how it works and and it also works that we will inevitably hit topics that are unpleasant or uninteresting to some of our audience but that's what star trek is all about to have a discussion about ideas in an entertaining and and thought-provoking manner and um you you know what's what's the kind of world that Star Trek envisions, and does that work? And and do we agree with it, or, or do we not agree with it? So, yeah, you, you may not agree with the ideas in the episode, and you may not agree with us, and that's cool, and you can write to us, because I know you will, uh, or, or you can start a podcast where you talk about the things that you want to talk about from your point of view. And I guess why I'm bringing all of this up is that what I've noticed, and, and I know that you've noticed it too, is that I feel like recently... There have been some listeners who try to argue that certain topics should be off limits mm-hmm. or or that we shouldn't bring our opinions into those topics, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So we go back to the original series and, and there are episodes about um, about uh, sex and race and drugs and the environment and, and all these things. And inevitably, we'll get the emails that we kind of joke about online. We'll say – I love Star Trek and I love Star Trek's message, but do you have to talk about this? Right. And, and the answer is, yeah. Yeah, we do have to talk about this because, <laughs> A, it's part of Star Trek. And, and, B, you and I look at Star Trek as, well, the whole reason we do Mission Log is based on the premise that Star Trek is important and it has important things to say. Yes. So if we're not treating it that way, then we're just watching spaceships and laser beams. Um, so today's show seemed like an appropriate place to reiterate the ordainments. Okay. <laughs> That's the way I look at the, the ordainments of, of mission log. Yeah. Is that, um, yeah, our, our opinions are, are out there for all. And, and we do this every week and, um, you absolutely may not agree. Uh, but that's cool. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't go there. Fact of the matter, too, and I'm not going to say whether this is true this week or not. I mean, I guess it'll probably come out, and I don't think people will be surprised anyway. But the fact of the matter is, even if we find something in a show, it doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with it. Go back to, I I don't know, Angel One or Code of Honor or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you can look at things and say, okay, well, here's what they're saying. And do you agree? Eh. No, not necessarily. Or, yeah, maybe. That's that's really sort of superfluous. Um, Yeah. Now, obviously, I think we're going to be able to argue some things easier than others if we actually do sort of hang with them. Yeah. And uh, and 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 now we get to skip to the wrap up, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So where do you want to start? All right. Well, you had a question about the Mentaki. Oh, sure. Where, start where with me. Start with <laughs> me. Why not? So where are they? Uh, we said that the Bronze Age, right? They'd be sort of yeah. equivalent to the Bronze Age. Um, right. Unless Wikipedia has lied to me, and, and it never, ever, ever has lied to anyone, no. ever. Uh, the Bronze Age is considered to have run someplace from about 3000 BC to maybe 1200 BC, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
there's something interesting about the fact that 21st century writers or 20th century writers, excuse me, although I assume some have survived to the 21st, it was the 20th when they were writing it, and basically saying, uh, look, we're done with the whole God thing like 5,000 years ago, or we should be. <laughs> because look at these guys. They're like from, they would be like the equivalent of our 5,000 years ago. And they're like, yeah, we used to believe in like a deity, but you know, we don't believe in, we don't believe in ghosts. We don't believe in astrology. And those are both things that they mentioned. They don't say them by name. They say, Dude, we no yeah. longer believe that we're haunted by the dead, nor that the stars guide our destination or the stars guide our lives or whatever it is. Right. Um, so it's kind of great to, to begin the episode by saying, look, <laughs> this ought to be so a thing in the past. And we're going to talk about how, how scary it could be if you go ahead and let that you know, run your life today. But really, we should be done with this between eh, three and a half and 5,000 years ago. Right, right. Well, I'll give them a little bit of a, a little bit of benefit of the doubt to say that these are proto-Vulcans, and we we hold up Vulcans as as just having wicked good logic. Mm-hmm. So they would have logicked their way out of this before humans would have. They would have logicked their way out of uh, religion before humans. Would yeah, have. but but everybody on Star Trek is a stand-in for humans. Yeah. I mean, they're standing for aspects of humans. So, I mean, you can say, well, the Vulcans would have done this. And then I have to say, well, have you seen a Vulcan? Do you know what a Vulcan would have done? (laughs) More to the point, do you know how to please a Vulcan? And that, God, (laughs) it keeps sounding dirty. And I don't mean for it to. I'm just sorry about that. Uh, there's a little bit of interesting thing here about the the Hawthorne effect, the observer, not not the physics observer effect when you talk about quantum physics and all, but the Hawthorne effect that in anthropology, um, just by being there, just by observing, you are changing the outcome of the situation. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I liked anthropology when I studied that in college. Not mm-hmm. enough of it. Um, but I always thought that was a, a, a fascinating idea that you can never truly understand what's happening in the thing that you're observing because you're immediately tainting it. Well, um, that's the whole point of the duck blind, though, right? I mean, they thought they had a, they thought they had a yeah. technology that would allow them to avoid the Hawthorne effect, as you said. And, and, and it's cool that that even that far in the future, we're still doing this, that we are still studying other groups and, and we're still trying to be that conscientious about, um, you know, having, having a duck blind and all, but still they had to get there. They had to build it. <laughs> they've, they've got a radio for, uh, for supplies. The chances of this getting screwed up are still pretty high. Hmm. You know, they're, they're doing everything they can. I agree. Yeah. But Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a hard time believing that Baron um, would 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 suddenly drop all of his anthropological ways. Yeah, he's like, "Look, we got to go. You know, we got to get our guy." And Picard's like, "We can't just go down there and get our guy." He's like, "Sure, we can. They've already seen us. Damage done. Go get my guy." I was I was really surprised that he was not more. I think Picard actually said, "Look, we, we all signed a piece of paper. We all knew the risks. Sometimes it's bad." And, and we yeah. got to deal with that. And he's like, no, but these are my people. <laughs> That's good for your yeah. people and other yeah. people, but not mine. Right. Says right. the guy who has like dedicated his life to, shh, don't let them see us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they do have a bit of a back and forth about the prime directive. And, the, and this is a good look at the prime directive. You know, Picard kicking it off by saying, then why didn't you let him die? <sighs> I know, right? <laughs> Brutal. Okay. Yeah. Reminded me of my old pal LQ Sonny Clemens. Why didn't you? They were already dead. Just leave them dead. And you know, well, he was gonna be dead. Just Uh, he's not at all well. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, uh, but this thread of further contamination must be prevented, and, and it's constant throughout the thing. And, and I thought you know, the Prime Directive is an extremely interesting background to the story, but I don't necessarily see the Prime Directive as the point of the story. Because mm-hmm. I mean, point of the story is something else you know um but yeah you know the prime directive is a thing and and we talk about it as living up to a moral code in this it is specifically about well don't interfere and i guess if you have interfered you have to undo the interference you have to do the hard work to uh, to backtrack out of that um you know, they, they keep saying throughout that the prime directive has already been violated. So at a certain point, it's like, well, really, what is what further damage could be done here? But but I feel like maybe the story isn't about how far should we go to uphold that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's interesting that Picard is there and puts his life on the line. But then you and I also have the question, is that really for Troy? Mm-hmm. Is that the captain just saying, I'm going to put myself in this position because my ultimate duty is the health and safety and well-being of my crew. So I will be the guy who steps in so that she can get out. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there there are a few different reasons for him to do that. I mean, certainly there is you know, keeping the prime directive intact. There is the whole thing about stopping them from believing in a deity because I think he says that that you know leads to, or maybe it was uh, maybe it was Baron who started talking about all the things that could lead to. Yeah. Did he even yeah. say holy war? I can't remember. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what what he was standing there for. Although, you know, I mean, it's another great character study that he stands there. I mean, mm-hmm. there there are any number of reasons for him to, and and the best part is, he didn't like you know he didn't beam down with a breastplate, right? He didn't right. beam down with like you know he didn't hologram himself in. I mean, he's yeah he's putting himself on the line, which like this totally awesome, uh, totally awesome uh, trait that he exhibits. Interesting, that things get kicked off with a near death experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm kind of fascinated that that that's still a thing that um, some people will have this change uh, with, with a near-death experience. And, and even the terminology is a little wonky, near-death. Um, but that is the thing that, that, that kicks off the story and kicks off the change in Liko. Um, now, they wouldn't know because they are Bronze Age after all, but they wouldn't know that that, that is a thing, that they, they can misinterpret you know, and that is a constant thing throughout this episode that misinterpretation, misinterpretation of data and experience leads to false belief. Um, Lico, who uses anecdote and personal experience as fact. Now, what's interesting is they are facts. Mm-hmm. The fact is that Lico was hurt. The fact is that Lico was beamed up and he met a guy named Picard. He saw a guy named Picard. And the fact is that he was repaired and sent back. But the interesting part of that is how deeply they misinterpret all of that information because they don't have um, they don't have a point of reference for any of that. So the Mintakans are making this logical mistake early on. They are using every piece of evidence they find to match the hypothesis they already have, or rather than trying to disprove it. So even Nuria gets in on this act. You know, she she says to, um, do you say it to Riker? Yeah, she says it to Riker. She says, well, all evidence says that there is a Picard. <laughs> and mm-hmm. all evidence says that this is happening. Well, yeah, 
it, it, it does actually lead to that. But the problem is they haven't then done the logical work to take a step back and say, okay, we have, we have things that we will call evidence. And we have this hypothesis that Picard is a god and that Picard has all these powers. But what we haven't done is taken the evidence a step further to say, well, does it lead to any other hypothesis? Does it actually – have we done ourselves a disservice by stopping at our single hypothesis rather than seeing what else fits that model? So – it's kind of cool. As much as I'm weird about them being proto-Vulcans, and we could talk about what a proto-Vulcan would actually be, mm-hmm. um, it is kind of interesting then that you take a hyper-logical set of people and then let them make these mistakes that sound science on top, take evidence, compare the evidence to what's going on, and then see if that fits the hypothesis or not, but let them make a common mistake. Because we all make that mistake. We think we've figured it out. We say, oh, look, the evidence fits my belief on this thing. But then we don't take it a step further and say, could the evidence actually mean something else that I have then locked myself into my original hypothesis that I won't let myself get backed out of? Well, it's like we talked about last week with um, with Kevin and the nearness of the tragedy uh, in his life. Um, there's a lot going on for Lico. Death is a very close thing to him in a couple of ways. He just lost his wife in last year's floods, right? And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other thing, of course, was um, was he just nearly died himself, and right. he was transported to another place where he was magically healed, and he heard people who looked very different than him. One guy who was obviously in control. I mean, he's got evidence for everything. It's just he's he's wrong about what that is, but it all happens in about twenty five minutes. Sure, and one assumes yeah. that he's actually. Logic may be a little threadbare at this point because he's obviously still suffering from the loss of his wife, and and he's sort of grasping at you know, wanting things to be the way that they were, and so then he'll turn to something that, on his most logical day, uh, would not be something that he would necessarily turn to. But he's longing, he's hoping, he then sees signs, and then everything that he says is true ends up being proven by other things happening when they find Palmer. I mean, that's it, right? He's, so he's got this crazy right, story, right. and Picard's looking for the Palmer, and, or the Picard's looking for Palmer. Right. And, uh, and all of a sudden, oh, there's Palmer. Okay, well, that fits. Everything right. else must fit, too. Right. Um, I will say the part that bothered me was how quickly um, the Matakans and we, honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, revert almost instantly to the idea of an angry god. Mm-hmm. We do angry God really quickly. I mean, oh, you sure. know, uh, yeah. cities are wiped off the map for a certain reason. And, you know, it's because we allowed that guy to marry that guy that now all of a sudden we've got this storm going on right. someplace else. Right. And these, these, this idea that and even when Picard is standing there being nice, Nuria assumes that she has angered or upset him. She's like, oh, wow, this all makes sense. It's very logical. That, that's totally cool. By the way, can you bring back the dead for me, please? And he's like, yeah. well, no, I can't. And she's like, oh, it's because I made you angry. Well, no, it's because I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm sort of, it's, it, it, it's kind of mind-blowing with um, how quickly we will go to that idea. That that's, that that's I, I would love to know why. That's well, our, it, I mean, unless it's just Old Testament stuff, but I mean, yeah. it, it can't just be that. I mean, we automatically sort of seem to assume that, yeah, oh no, God's going to be really upset with me. 
Yeah, but we still do it. It's the 21st century yes. as of the recording of this podcast, and yes. we still do it. And and our race has done it for thousands of years. You know? Yes. I mean, it, it's maybe a peek into that in uh, Lico's psychology that, like you said, he's he's kind of been through the ringer. Mm-hmm. We know he's harboring this pain about the loss of his wife, and then he just went through this very traumatic experience with falling and and now his whole world is turned upside down yeah and there is no way for him to explain that uh because like i said there is no point of reference and and he hasn't had the time to logic his way out of it so he has logic his way into well this is beyond me therefore it's insert spiritual description here <laughs> you know yeah the other thing that's very i mean it's kind of and and again, we've only we're only giving it maybe forty five minutes, right? That's how long the show yeah, is. Yeah. I would say maybe maybe it lasted a day in you know in terms of of um, in universe time. Um, there was a line that kind of bummed me out. Uh, Troy mm-hmm. says that's the problem with believing in a supernatural being determining what he wants, and Lico says we must do something. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> I mean, here yeah. I mean you know, and you'll say to people on this planet, we must do something. And uh, and and then it depends on what you're talking about. If there's bad storms. We must do something. And some people say, well, okay, let's reduce uh, let's reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, mm-hmm. and let's uh, let's build bulwarks and make sure and blah blah blah. And other people are like, no no no, we have to pray, right? And right. you know, I, I I I really don't understand how that ends up being a divide. I don't think it's like you know either we take precautions or we pray. If you're a praying person. You know, maybe you go ahead and take precautions as well. And if you're a precautions person who finds yourself thinking, yeah, you know, maybe I wonder, yeah, you know, if you want to meditate, if you want to pray, do whatever you want to do there, that's fine too. It's not necessarily an either or thing. It was amazing though that, you know, oh, there's lightning. We got to do something. It's, yeah, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's freaked out by that, even though they've had lightning before. And yes, but not like this lightning, John. No. Not like this lightning. Yeah, plus well, that, he's got that, the bow, he's got the arrow, he's got the hostage. Yeah. You know, but isn't that interesting then? How how even the regular data, the the regular uh, uh, experience that they've mm-hmm. gone through before, many many times before, then suddenly takes on a brand new meaning when his interpretation of the world changes. I know. Now you're, now you're, everything is part of the angry god or the happy god. Yeah, I, um, you're you're a giant Vulcan. I know that never happens to you. It still happens to me. I'm thinking about something and suddenly a song comes on the radio and no, I don't think, oh, Angry God's Angry and he's sending me a song. I think, wow, that's so weird that that song would play right now. Well, okay, only because you noticed it, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm enough of a romantic, I'm enough of a, you know, whatever, that I would like to think, oh, wow, I needed to hear that song right then and that song came on and that must mean something. Well, it means you got something out of the song. Move on. Ken, if that is in fact your name. No, but I think that's fine, and I and I, I think that's really cool. And as much as I try to be a little more logical, more Vulcan in my outlook, fine. Mm-hmm. There's something about the the poetry of of being a, an emotional being, of being a human being, that we can look at things like that and and go back in our heads to to a time or a situation or a place where, say, that song really meant something, and we remember those positive hits. That's great. Yeah, we we should be doing that. the The problem is when we ascribe it to then a higher power that has control over our lives, like these people do. And then, like Deanna said, that you can't interpret 
<laughs> you know, that's the problem with believing in a supernatural being, trying to determine what he wants. Well, does the song mean something good or does it mean something bad? Well, no, it just means that you interpreted that. It mm-hmm. means that you heard that song and it meant something. You forgot every time you heard a song that meant nothing to you. Is it um, Sirens of Titan? Winston Niles Rumford believes in God, but it's uh, the church of God the totally indifferent. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a God, but he really doesn't care what you do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> doesn't care what song is on the radio. And you like don't need to all. concern yourself with him, right, at that yeah. point. So, like, okay, yeah, so we have creation. and Yeah, yeah go ahead. That's thanks to a God. But, you know, he created. And now yeah. he's moved on, and maybe you should, too, seems to be the idea. That's Kurt Vonnegut, though. Everybody knows he was a Satan-kissing novelist. So. <laughs> um so the Picard, the Picard can grant anything. Gentle winters, you know, plentiful hunting, mm-hmm. even bring back the dead. And, and there's, you know, none too subtle religious reference through all of that. Um, and it's also kind of fun and interesting how the interpretation of Picard's wishes and wants jump around the more the Mintakans talk about him. So it's this giant game of telephone that is a very interesting parallel to the evolution of religions. They can logic their way into anything they want to believe about him. Oh, this is happening. It means he's angry. This is happening. It means he's happy. We don't really know what this means, but I'll make a pretty good case as to why we have to, I don't know, resort to sacrifice <laughs> with uh, with Troy. That so, escalates quickly, doesn't it? It does. And that is kind of the weird thing about this episode. The whole course of events takes place within a couple of days, we assume. Yeah. So they, they're logical. They find religion. They lose religion, whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe this should play out over a century, but hey. We well, that's why I said time. 50 to 100 years. Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> Check back with them then. Just, uh, just, just land the shuttle near the g- giant statue of Picard. Right. Mm. But it's a good look at how we develop religions and and then develop every offshoot sect and cult that branches off from those religions. So it really is all about the interpretation. Come back in 50 or 100 years and you've got the Liko followers and you've got the Nuri followers (laughs) and they do not like each other at all because their version of Picard tells them something very different about what to do when thunder comes. Um, and we even, you know, we see that development of a really dark side of interpreting religion when Liko is ready to harm Troy to please the Picard. Um, you mentioned it and here's, here's the line that Baron says without guidance, that religion could degenerate into inquisitions, holy wars, chaos. Mm-hmm. So that, and that is exactly what has happened. Now it degenerates in 10 minutes (laughs) well it has to because it's parable right i mean you know they they have 48 minutes to tell us the story and and it has to happen in the lifespan of of our characters as well yeah unless it was some special you know mind probe thing that suddenly let them live life in like a 45 minute setting or something but right i mean it's got to go that quickly um and well we don't want to talk about whether it detracts or adds to yet but um I mean, it's got to go as fast as it goes. At least we can. At least we we can sort of logic our way into how he can logic himself out of, you know, fairly quickly to go. Yeah, he lost his wife, and he just died, and he came back to life, and he was on a spaceship, and it was a whole thing, and his daughter saw it, and there's the other guy. That that might make things escalate quickly. Yeah. Well, and it, there is something like I said before that I think is very realistic about that. You know, um, that 
very often when you talk to people who have had uh, a spiritual change, mm-hmm. there's something that happened. And it may not just be a sudden thing. It may not just be like Liko where, where he's been hurting from this tragic loss. Um, but I, I remember years ago uh, interviewing a friend of mine who um, – he had very deeply uh, uh, given himself to his religion. And, and I thought that was fascinating. And um, he, he had described this time in his life when things were going horribly, mm-hmm. when where he felt like he didn't have direction and he was making bad choices and bad decisions, you know, physically, personally, all of this. And then he sort of had a moment where he decided all these things that I'm doing are wrong Therefore, I've now had a spiritual awakening, and now my life will be dedicated to this other thing. And in talking to him, I, I said, well, that, that's fascinating. Now, do you chalk that up to a higher power doing this to you? Or do you chalk that up to, well, I was in a bad spot, and I realized that I needed to get myself out of it. His interpretation is, a higher power reached out to me and made me do that. Hmm. You know, and I said, okay, well, do you think there's any credence to just sort of the, the, the present psychological need to not be the person that you are unhappy with? And he said, yeah, I see that, but I believe that something else happened, <laughs> you know? So I, I, I kind of get it. I, 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 in some way, you know, I, I think we can all relate to where Liko is coming from. Like I said, he just, uh, he makes this interesting logical mistake and and he's so good at logic he can just keep working his way deeper and deeper it is a terrible terrible shame when an episode of star trek is so light and fluffy Who's got two thumbs and watches? Who watches the watchers? This guy. And in case you didn't pick up on it, I'm actually pointing my two thumbs at me and saying, oh, cool. this guy. Yeah. Four if you count John mm-hmm. uh, thumbs, but that's then it's this guy's. Yeah, and, I'm not pointing I, at you with my thumbs. I can't control him. I don't know whether he's pointing his thumbs at himself or not when I say that. That's why I just, I, I, I can only speak for myself, I guess what I'm saying. We have a question, though. Uh, messages, morals, meanings, does the whole thing hold up? These are actually the questions that we try to tackle on this part of the show. Uh, who watches The Watchers, John? Does this episode hold up? Um, well, you know, aside from the whole religious history of a, of a planet or a community being condensed down into um, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can swallow that, I, I would say that, you know, it's paced pretty well. There's a nice contrast between the location, Hello Vasquez Rocks, and mm-hmm. the Enterprise. Um, it's a lot of cat and mouse with heavy ideas. A lot happens in 45 minutes. There's a lot of plot, and it all works together very well. So, you know, we've talked about how the original series took on big topics. They did their racism episode, their equality episodes, their religion episodes. Um, and now Next Gen has done kind of the same thing they've done their drug addiction episode their civil rights episodes their attempts at taking on sexism and here's the religion episode and the tradition of who mourns for adonais Mm. 
not only does it feel like Star Trek, to me it feels like Gene Roddenberry all over the page. It feels like Gene reaching through the TV and grabbing us by our lapels and telling us exactly who we are and what our values are in the 24th century. Mm-hmm. So as a story, as a piece of entertainment, and more importantly to us as a slice of Star Trek, unequivocally, yes, I feel like it holds up. How yeah. about um. I'll say really quickly, I mean, it, it, it holds up better than who mourns for what's his name mm-hmm. because um, they don't cop out. Yep. And maybe that's because yep. there's no there's no network uh, to yeah. uh, to whom they have to answer. But, you know, and the whole thing about the uh, one uh, has sufficed. Yeah. We find that one suffices. Um, the fact that they're like, ah, now we're even cool without the one. Now that you mentioned it. Uh, there's one thing that we didn't mention in the last segment, but it is one of the things that, that helps this episode hold up. And it's not message-wise. It's um, Although it is message-wise as well. Picard walking through walking Nuria through how it is that he's not a god mm-hmm. is just a wonderful, wonderful scene. It's just, I mean, honestly, it's just, it, it, it's a great, it, it feels like logic 101. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you live in a hut. Yeah, you live in caves. Yeah, why don't you live in caves now? Well, these are better. Ah, so how'd you end up with the hut? Somebody thought of it, right? Well, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. Okay, so so how do you think I got into a spaceship? I mean, it, it really, it's just, it's it was well played. It was well done. I, w- I will tell you that the first time I was, uh, that I was watching this episode for our, for our show today, um, I was actually cooking dinner and I stopped <laughs> because <laughs> it was just, it was wonderful. I mean, that just, that, that exchange, that look, Taking, you know, Nuria by the hand and and thus the writers and Gene Roddenberry, as you say, taking the the viewer by the hand mm-hmm. and saying, look, here's how you get from where you are right now to where we're wanting to go. Yeah. And it, 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 it's building on not on superstition, not on unfounded belief, but on, hey, this car could probably go five miles per hour faster. Let's work on that. No, okay, we, could, we could probably fly now. And so let's work on that. And hey, we could probably go further in space than we did before. Let's work on that. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's sort right. of a, it's, it's a, it's a wonderfully um, hopeful um, message. It's also interesting that, you know, they actually did know where they were at this point. So you can go ahead and tell people all those hopeful things and they'll turn around and go, yeah, by the way, can you make the floods not come this year? Or, oh, by the way, right. can you bring back the dead? I mean, right. so, okay, so even if even if you're taking a point where you go, okay, so you get it. And you're like, yes, I do get it. And I'm going to go tell my priest and he's going to tell everybody, oh, well, no, I guess maybe not. Let's start again. <laughs> did you live in a cave? Okay. But um, that part I thought was absolutely uh, fantastic. You know, it's interesting that uh, when I mentioned who mourns and and you said, well, yeah, they had that cop out, that that one line that kind of cops out. And I I feel like, yeah, one line sort of derailed it. And it's too bad that line is there. Mm -hmm. But overall, I feel like that episode did a great job of posing the question. And it's so funny that. You know, I like you. I love that scene so much mm-hmm. with the card grabbing Nuri's hand because it reminded me of Kirk's conversation with uh, Lieutenant Palamas in mm-hmm. Who Warns. Now, a little bit different context because she's she's not confused about, you know, who's a god, what's a god, whatever. But, but she's fallen for Apollo. Right. And Kirk says, give me your hand. Now feel that human flesh against human flesh. We're the same. We share the same history, the same heritage, the same lives. We're tied together beyond any untying. Man or woman makes no difference. We're human. 
couldn't escape from each other even if we wanted to. Um, and it, it goes on from there. But it, it reminded me of that moment um, because I, I thought, again, it, it was such a great um, – there are these nice little intimate scenes between characters in Star Trek, but then they speak to a much bigger sort of philosophical outlook. And, uh, and that's one of those moments for me. So I, to me, those two things parallel each other very nicely. Um, all right. So messages. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I, I, I turned to my wife after we watched this episode and I said, so basically this is Star Trek saying there's no God. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a little more nuanced than that, but really, but yeah, yeah. Well, cause he, here's why. I mean, first of all, first of all, I would say the, we've used this line before any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic mm-hmm. so that's not necessarily the message here but it is the idea expressed here mm-hmm. it is that we, we can allow ourselves to be influenced by magic because sometimes it's just technology you know? yeah I, 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 I actually yes that is something that Nuria and her people have to learn but I, I, if, this, if this show is going to bring any message to us then I think we actually have to leave that one off the table I mean that would be true if you were you know one of those uh, tribes in South America that's never actually met a person and that we've actually never seen until suddenly we're flying over them one day going hey who are those guys <laughs> should yeah, we stop yeah, and say right, hi right. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but we don't have – we had said that we might talk about whether the Overseer was actually somebody that had visited the Matakans in the past. We don't know anything about the Overseer. We don't know if that's just a made-up idea of a god or if that mm-hmm. was actually some guy that was there thousands of years ago who you know made them proto-Vulcans as opposed to proto-Romulans. We don't know anything about that Overseer. Here on Earth, I mean, I know you hate Chariot of the Gods. Yep. Because you hate the idea that we could have come up that we couldn't have come up with this stuff without intervention from aliens, it would be so much easier if we had intervention from aliens. It would be so much <laughs> easier and better if we had intervention from aliens because at least then we would have an answer and, uh, and easier I think, I'm not going to say better though um, there'd be fewer wars there'd be less there'd be less i mean if we if there were aliens and we were visited by them every now and then there'd be mm-hmm. less interpretation we would we wouldn't necessarily have to say well that's the problem with believing in a higher being you don't necessarily know that what you're doing is what you want them to do they were mm-hmm. showing up every 10 years going what, what, what is that stop it knock it off knock it off <laughs> so i mean maybe it wouldn't be better okay but my point is i mean out here on our own right yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, we're out here on our own. I mean, let, let me back up and just say that part. So the sufficiently advanced technology thing, it doesn't feel like that could be a message for us here because as far as we know, there are no aliens coming down. We got nothing to point to. There's thunder. Yeah. Oh, crap, there's yeah. thunder. I better make something up. You know what I mean? I mean, at least Liko sees Picard and at least um, OG sees Liko like, like vanish and come back, right? They've mm-hmm. got, they've at least, at least they've got, you know, those kind of... Uh, approve things and then you can say well now they've got the you know any sufficiently advanced technology lesson that they have to learn that doesn't apply to us because i mean we we're the ones who keep making nuclear reactors we're the ones that keep sending ships to space you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're the ones who make the car go five miles per hour faster this uh, the the uh the the danger of the god of the gaps fallacy is throughout this say that anytime there's a gap in knowledge mm-hmm. and we just get to throw in oh uh, okay well we don't know what that thing is we, we we know what a bow and arrow is and we know what thunder and lightning is and we know what the caves are but we don't know what this other thing is so we'll just insert god into that mm-hmm. we'll, we'll say that that's god 
And, um, and then a miracle happens. And then a miracle happens, <laughs> right. And so, is it, so then is, if you don't want to say that the message of this episode of Star Trek is yeah, there's no God, I mean, if you want to, I don't want to say sugarcoat it, because it's not, I don't, I don't want to say that. Well, if, no, if, no, you, no. if you want to back off that message a little bit, I mean, do you think the actual message is don't be afraid? I, I think it's don't be afraid, but I, I think it says that that we are we're better off with logic and reason than we are with superstition. Hmm. Now, take that to the logical extreme, and and it, look, it, even as deep as my beliefs are, mm-hmm. it I'm not going to say there is no God, and and there are there are no atheists who would say, well, not none. But very few who would say there is no God because that's an unknowable thing. Wait a minute. Okay? Wait a but, minute. You and I have but, talked about that in the past, and I've said that you can't know that, and you've said, well, I haven't seen anything, so I assume there's not. I thought the difference between atheism and agnosticism was atheists are like, nope, no God. And agnostics are like, I don't know. No, 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 no. no. Well, I mean, we might get it off on too, too far of a different discussion here. Right. But, but it's a discussion worth having. No. I mean, agnosticism is about knowledge, knowing for a fact. There is or is not something factually based, okay? Theism, atheism is simply about belief and practice. Do you believe or do you not believe? So this show isn't necessarily saying, you know, a, a hard atheist stance to say there is no God. I don't think it necessarily has to say that. But what it does say is that we're better off when we get rid of supernatural and superstitious beliefs, Hmm. So, but, and here's an interesting thing. Now, I, I've seen arguments um, to to the effect that this story isn't about religion per se, but it's more about the prime directive and about zealotry leading to violence. And and yeah, okay, there there's zealotry leading to violence in that. But the underlying concern of this episode by Picard and throughout is that it's a downward slope when we give up our rationality and hmm. replace it with superstition. So, I've said it before and I'll say it again, you know, Picard and the Enterprise crew kind of in this show is a proxy for us. They they speak for us to the enlightened human beings of the 20th century or 21st century with our heads in the 24th. So, to Picard, it's an achievement. And he uses that word. It is an achievement that the Mentakans gave up their supernatural beliefs. Hmm. And, and he won't let them slide backwards. Now, you mentioned, uh, and, and we reiterated Baron's line about them devolving into holy war and uh, 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 inquisition and chaos, you know. Mm-hmm. Picard's follow-up to that, I think, is the, the heart and soul and the core of this episode. Because Picard's response to that, he says, horrifying. Dr. Barron, your report describes how rational these people are. Millennia ago, they abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you're asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear. No. Although he says it much more dramatically than I just did. (laughs) (laughs) um, So that is the heart. That is the message of this episode is that we we as a race sort of have to pull ourselves out of ancient and superstitious and supernatural beliefs that keep holding us back, that we will be better when we draw ourselves away from that and realize that 
that the natural world is a thing that is there that's not to be feared, um, that we can have great achievements. But when we keep relying and misinterpreting things like, well, the angry God is making it rain, then we take a step backward. Hmm. And I, I assume that uh, that you would say that that message holds up. Uh, that message speaks to me, Ken. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a, a great episode with a powerful message, and and I do think that you know, again, when we start to paint Star Trek with the really broad strokes about what does it mean and what is it trying to tell us, the audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of those. That's one of those big pillars of what is underlying Star Trek. Um, uh, I, I think throughout the shows, they don't always talk about it. They don't always have to talk about it because there are other stories to be told. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is one of those principles that uh, that we see within within the whole Star Trek universe. <laughs> you can do it. I mean, that, that really, honestly, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is kind of like you boil down the message: is you can do it. Yeah, and you you personally can do it. Yeah, you you as a human race can do it. And yeah. you you don't need to worry about the mighty hand that will reach down and either, you know, please or punish based on its whim. Why am I always the one who says there's no God? <laughs> why am I always the one who says there's no God? Because I don't even know. Uh, why? Well, am I, but I'm always the one who says it. Yeah, but, but look, I mean, that's... I, I guess that's why I come back to my, my own personal position. Yeah, mm. I, I live my life as if there is no God. Right. You know, I, I don't practice, I don't pray, I don't, I don't do a, any of that. But I still know that I don't know. Mm. Because if conditions change tomorrow, and if God showed up at Hollywood and Vine and said, I'm God, I'm, I'm going to give you all the proof in the world to prove to you that I'm God. Okay, well, then I need to reconsider my position, <laughs> you know. So, but that's okay. That's, that, that, that's keeping an open and skeptical mind. But if I would just go around saying there is no God and I have proof to that effect, well, I don't because I can't prove a negative. Yeah. Well, you said that you'd said it before and you'd say it again. And I got to say, I've said it before. and I'll say it again as well. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. Uh, for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And you'll find that online. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next weekend, The Bonding. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The proto-Vulcans should have known that Picard was not God. After all, what would God need with a starship? And transmission. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.